0: Good morning. My name is Josh Kozicki, and I'm a graduating senior from Noblesville High School, as you may or may not have known. And I have been given the honor of standing here and talking with all of you today. I have been coming to this church my whole life, and I have learned an incredible amount of who I am within these walls and doing work for this church. On this graduation Sunday, I was asked to discuss what I thought the church should look like in the future and what I would like to see the church do differently in the future. In order to describe that church to all of you, I think it is appropriate to explain how I've come to this point in my faith. As I said, I've been coming to this church for as long as I can remember, starting with Sunday school and the youth message with Pastor Jack Wolf during services. As I grew up, I began to do more and I developed in my faith. In the spring of my sophomore year, I went to Give Kids the World Village in Orlando, Florida on a mission trip with my youth group. It was on that trip that I truly started to realize what my values were and where I stood in life. What I came up with became what I call my core values, and these values parallel both the church's vision, but also the, church I, the future I see for it. My core values are to be friends with everyone I meet, save anyone I can reach, and turn despair into hope. These are the principles that this church has taught me, and the way that I would like to see the church operate better in the future. It took me a long time to figure out why I wanted these pieces to be the foundation of who I am. But during my second trip to Give Kids the World Village over fall break this past year, I realized where I had pulled these three points from. Being friends with everyone I meet was my way of interpreting what Jesus meant in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, which states, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The two commandments that Jesus gives here is the way that people should treat each other. Being friends with everyone requires a love in your heart. It means an openness and a willingness to go above and beyond what someone needs to ensure that they are okay and that they know that they are appreciated. However, if you do not have a strong relationship with God, a strong friendship with God, then you have no base to support your friends on. People cannot and will not ever truly succeed on their own. So be friends with everyone. And more importantly, be friends with God. Saving anyone I can reach was fairly simple for me to trace back into the Bible because helping others is a core piece of Jesus' message. However, the place that I feel like it was most applicable is Matthew 25 verses 35 through 40. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous men will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The point is that people need to help each other out, support each other, and ensure that everyone is well. Not because it gives you rewards, (coughs) or because you get recognized for it, or even because it is easy, because it hardly ever is. Do it because it is right, do it because it is decent. And most importantly, help and save anyone you can reach because it is kind. Finally, turning despair into hope. The way that I've seen it, being friends with everyone I meet and saving anyone I can reach are the methods that I use to accomplish this third piece. Turning despair into hope is a promise, a promise that I will keep the people I meet. No matter what dumb drama is going on, I will keep them safe and I will let them know that they are appreciated. Turning despair into hope is a way of interpreting the gift of grace. First Peter 510 says, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Everyone goes through difficulties in life. Everyone goes through hardships. But as long as people remember that the lord will help you when you help others then hope will become everlasting and despair will be erased that is the church that i want to see one of friendship service and hope this church has done an incredible job of accomplishing my core values within the walls of this church however in a world of fast-flowing information and constant updates to every other corner of the world I believe that this church should do more to help others rather than just talk about being more giving or more outgoing. This church has been a great source of hope for me, but only because I have always been an active participant within the church. When I went to give kids the first time, I started to realize what my core values were because I was able to see firsthand the joy and excitement that the good work we are called to do can bring into people that are going through struggles that I could barely understand. I grew up in this church and I learned much of who I am within these walls. However, as much as we might want it to be the case, not everyone is going to be able to join us on services or help us on a mission trip. We as members of this congregation need to go out and live the word of God in our lives so that we can brighten the lives of those around us and hopefully help them grow closer to God in their own lives and in their own ways. Noblesville is beginning to move into a new chapter. So let the actions of this church help to guide this city into a brighter, friendlier, better serving, and more hopeful community, not just for the people of this church, but for people everywhere. Our mission as um, United Methodists is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. This church has done a great job of starting that process within its own walls. And with things like Tito Organic Farms and our mission trips to give kids the World Village and Guatemala, this church is beginning to work more on helping to transform the world. So let that be the path we take as our future, transforming the world by being friends with everyone we meet, saving anyone we can reach, and turning despair into hope. Amen.
1: Very well done, Josh. A few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a couple, and they were sharing their, their struggle and that their adult children now haven't seemed to have found their way into a faith community. One they shared uh, still believed they had a spirituality. They just didn't really see much need in being part of the institution of the church. The other child, they said had no belief at all, didn't really believe God was there and that was heartbreaking for them and it's important and and, and I know part of what they felt was a little bit of well what did we do wrong and the message I want to share if any of you find yourselves in that situation is that we're in a time of rapid change in our culture so I know with this couple it, it wasn't anything they've done, they've shared their faith authentically in every way possible but we're in a culture shift, it's a seismic change that's taking place. matter of fact, David Kinneman and the Barnett Group has found that we're in a situation there where it's moving so rapidly in people in this post-Christian era that it's hard to even keep up and even imagine. In the 1990s, 30% of their U.S. population was unchurched. By the 2000s, that had crept up to about 33%. But by 2014, 43% are unchurched. In addition to that, 48% of millennials, those born from 1984 to 2002, would be considered post-Christian. In that, not only do they not go to church, but they have no experience in the Christian faith, no biblical knowledge, and so to have even a Christian ethos is just not a part of their experience. Carrie Newoff says. I think the change we're seeing around us might one day be viewed on the same level as what happened to the church after Constantine's conversion or after the invention of the printing press. Whatever the change looks like when it's done, it will register as a seismic shift from what we've known. So what do you do? One, I hope we listen. We listen to voices of our young adults and hear what they're saying and hear the call that they have for us to be a different kind of church. I shared with that couple that we're in this shift that takes place where, where our youth are taking longer to move into adulthood. And so that creates that, that gap that grows larger for when people are in that time of self-discovery and before they have children and sometimes find their way back to church. But the bigger issue I hear is that our, our younger generations are saying the kind of things that really Jesus taught. They want us to be the church, but to be the radical kind of church that Jesus calls to. As, as Josh said, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to be with those who are imprisoned, to free the oppressed. And that takes a, a radical kind of faith. I think we can find our inspiration, though, in Peter's confession. The scripture that was read earlier, Jesus asks two important questions. He first asks, well, who do people say that I am? And they offer all the rumors that are floating around there. Most of those rumors show with great respect that Jesus was something special from God. But then he asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps quickly with the answer. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Ding, 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 ding. He's got the right answer. But he, if you keep on reading, you discover he doesn't quite know what that means exactly. Because when, Peter go, when Jesus goes on to describe what that looks like, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and there he will suffer, Peter doesn't want anything to do with that. He wants a Messiah of triumph. And Jesus offers a Messiah who serves and suffers on behalf of all people. And that is the challenge for us as the church Who will we say that Jesus is? Because when you answer that question, it requires a commitment. And what matters is not so much who we believe Jesus is as what we're going to do about it because of who he is. So who do you say Jesus is when you're not just reciting a creed? Who do you say Jesus is with your lives, with the relationships that you're a part of, with your bank account, with your time, your energy, and all the rest? That's what really matters. So I encourage you to decide who you say Jesus is. And then let us come alongside one another as a church and do some extraordinary things that will cause people from every generation to look up and say, there is something I'd want to be a part of. There is a, a church that is changing the world. And I want to be a part of it. That describes a church with a future. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the voices that we've listened to today. May we hear those and, and respond, not just on our own, but together. Define to what it means to be your church in this day and this age For new generations, that they might respond and be the church that you call to be. We know that the church was Jesus' idea. It's his dream. Help us to let it be shaped by his call. This we ask
0: in your name. Amen.